The Guardian. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook if you sign up for a two-week trial of their service. Audible has 40,000 titles available to download. For all the details, follow the links at guardian.co.uk slash audible. Hello, I'm Matt Wells. This is Media Talk. Coming up this week, it's bad news for Bargain Hunt as the BBC Trust tells station bosses to improve the quality of BBC One and BBC Two and come up with some fresh ideas. Also in the podcast... I didn't want to take over from Jonathan on the radio because I think Jonathan's brilliant. And they explain, if you turn this down now, this job doesn't come up very often. We hear from Graham Norton about life at Radio 2, plus make or break for ITV's Daybreak. And... I just want to say to both of you, you're both very talented young women. Thank you very much for being gracious and strong and coming out here and singing so well. But I'm not sending either of them home, do I? Refusing to, yeah. I'm refusing, point blank. Drama in the X Factor. Did you smell a rat? This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Now, this week, uh, Justin Webb, the newest member of Radio 4's Today programme team, said that he was going to try and interrupt his guests more during interviews. Uh, I know how you feel, Justin. I'd be lucky if I could get a word in edgeways with this week's lineup, which includes, uh, here in the pod, two old friends of Media Talks of Christmas Pasts. Um, first up, it's media journalist and broadcaster Stephen Brooke. Are you happy with that description? No, I think the implication that I, that I am anything other than totally current, Matt, is something that needs to be dispelled. Uh, okay. Um, well, I have to say your agent's been on the phone to say that uh, we, we could have used uh, journalist, radio host, blogger, lecturer and documentary maker uh, without bring, being in breach of the trades description. That's, uh, yeah, I've been spreading myself widely, but none too thinly. And if any of my uh, students who are doing their BA in fashion journalism out of Epsom are listening, hello. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, it's a scary thought. Uh, also here is Janine Gibson, editor of guardian.co.uk. Uh, it's been a mere six months since your last appearance, Janine. Have you been busy in the interim? Am I, am I allowed to speak or are you going to speak over me? No, I'm not, I'm not going to speak over you. I, <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, I see you're re- uh, resplendent with iPad. Uh, so is yeah, this, no, I'm is fully briefed. To... I've read everything and I'm not in any way reading the stories that we're going to talk about right now. <laughs> OK, right, excellent. Uh, now, last week's show was a, was a bit radio-centric, so it's only right that we should turn our attention to TV this week. Uh, we'll start with a rather damning indictment from the BBC Trust uh, in its review of the output of the corporation's main TV channels. The BBC's governing body has told channel controllers in no uncertain terms that it wants to see an improvement by the end of 2011 after concluding that BBC One and BBC Two are too similar and that BBC Four needs to do more to raise its profile. The review was particularly critical of the quality of the daytime schedule across the two main channels, saying that much of it was formulaic, derivative and therefore damaging to the BBC's reputation. So uh, it's bad news for fans of Cash in the Attic. Uh, I'm looking at you, Brookie. Uh, But where do do we go from here? Um, uh, Yes, you're correct. Since I've left The Guardian, I've become an instant expert on daytime (laughs) television. I, you know, I just think we need to get rid of the trust. That's yet another nonsensical report. Elements of it, I agree, with BBC One and BBC Two are similar, but then a lot of BBC Two programmes actually navigate over to BBC One when they become more popular. Uh, but I just uh, think that this problem with them is that they're not letting the controllers do their jobs without trying to shoehorn them into... A, 
a culture of compliance and box ticking. And basically they said, yeah, the programs are – the channels are okay, but there's odd bits here and there that mm. need improvement. We need more programs from Abyssinia on BBC Two in the afternoon. Janine, I mean, this is, this, this is the compulsory annual bashing of – of, of BBC One by the Trust and its various pre- predecessors, which you and I have covered uh, down the years, th- they always say BBC One is too formulaic and, 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 and BBC Two isn't quite good enough, don't they? Yeah, the only thing it's missing is um, we need more arts and the sitcoms aren't funny, yeah. <laughs> which is generally you know, the, 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 the traditional lines. It is, um, I think Stephen's right, uh, it, it's, it says more about the BBC Trust than it does about um, the programmes or the channels. Because and they desire, at, 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 desire to, be to, 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 to seem independent and... Well, it's just, it, it, it shows their innate lack of sense of what they should be doing, frankly, because at the point where, this point right now, where there is a, a, a very um, serious debate about the function of the trust, about whether there should be regulation there, whether the whole thing should be disbanded, what about Ofcom, what about the National Audit Office, whether political enemies, if you like, are, are, are lining up against the trust, to then put out a report that suggests your main role in life is to tell the controller of BBC One to do a slightly better version of Bargain Hunt is... Mm. It is almost undermining your own existence to a degree that is fatal. It's just it's just a sort of nonsensical thing to do. To tell BBC Four to raise its profile is the kind of thing that I mean, not even Mark Thompson should be involved in that. That should be the marketing department talking to the controller of BBC Four. That's just oh, that yes. isn't the role of a regulator. Yeah. On the BBC Four point specifically. The Trust found that BBC programmes are rated most highly of all for quality with an 82% appreciation score, but that they still suffered the lowest rating, ratings among viewers of all BBC TV channels, 6.4 out of 10. So you've got this thing where it's very popular with the people that watch it, but with the people that don't watch it, it isn't. Hence this yeah. kind right. of slightly nebulous and illogical instruction to raise its profile. How do you raise its profile by doing shouty programs with provocative titles? And then uh, being told that you're a bit too derivative. I mean, this is the level of analysis that, frankly, our parents could do, which is, oh, uh, BBC One, daytime schedule, that's not very good, is it? I mean, it reduces the role of what is supposed to be um, a a, a carefully judged non-executive board to that of armchair critic. And Mm. it's just, it's pointless. And I think it's a real danger because the BBC is, you know, under attack from all sides and particularly the programme makers. And we live in an age of compliance. And this is just another prodding which undermines the creative role that a lot of BBC employees have. Um, um, Part of this is structural anyway. Um, The whole reason that BBC Two is too similar to BBC One is because of the hiving off of all the serious and challenging programmes to BBC Four, which seems to me to, to be a... Uh, you know, a structural change that they've never managed managed to get over, have they? Right. So, exactly. So, better better challenge to your non-executive regulator that's tr- trying desperately to find a point in its life. How many channels do you really want to support and how many channels do you really want to focus on supporting as channels as opposed to how many types of programming and types of content production and medium media mm. do you want to be in and where and how do you want to distribute and fund that in the future? Um much bigger question, much more important. What what does it look like between eleven and twelve on BBC Two, BBC One, and BBC Four? Really below their pay grade. Yeah, I mean, it's, just it's, it's not even worth bothering. Micromanaging with. to micromanaging they need the schedule. To be lifting to the up yes. and trying to figure out what the BBC has to be, not trying to 
post-editor schedule. Otherwise, I mean, they may, it's just a TV review. And it does read like, you know, something from the Daily Mail. In fact, I do think there might be an argument to just give the money that now goes to BBC4 to the BBC2 controller and say, look, you're the main channel. Increase your budget. You decide how to run these two channels in concert so that they're distinctive right. and so, one so, of them so, is smaller yes. and a high-end audience but you can do that with so a strategy. So run them together rather than, rather than com- competing with each other yeah. separately. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, well, so certainly they are going to have to th- think of strategies like that aren't they, Stephen, because of the recent licence fee settlement which means that there's going to be these massive budget cuts anyway, which means as surely as Janine suggests that bigger structural changes are going to have to be considered rather than just tinkering around with, with programme formats. Well, they've just appointed someone to run BBC one, Danny Cohen, yeah. who intimately knows the schedule of BBC Three, which is where he used to work, yeah. and its upcoming plans over the next two years. So in effect, in a de facto way, he'll be able to do that himself because he'll know what's coming up on BBC Three and, and how that can link in with the channel that he is now in control of. And there won't you know and he will be able to presumably come up with some kind of strategy. Now the way you solve that problem with BBC One and BBC Two is, you know, a different kettle of fish but that program has been in existence what since the 60s so the mm. bbc hasn't worked out how the two work in concert by now will it ever um janine do you think that bbc4 is in danger uh, given that the um given the uh, or, e- or even the eight eight channel will have to be axed in given the severity of the license fee settlement Okay, so there's two ways around that. One, one is, do I think at some point over the next 12 months we will be having the, let's call it the six music rail yes. all over again? Of course we will, because there's such brilliant rails for the corporation to have. They say, right, we'll cut off the service. Everybody goes absolutely loopy. Yes. Um, we all go mad and campaign, and next thing you know, Safety it has to be reluctantly saved because it's so popular, and the audience goes up. So obviously, this is a this is a very useful thing to do, and I'm sure you know, pick your service. If I would be lining up to put my service on the block just for the uh, attention and the saving of it. <laughs> yes. um, but uh, uh, and then nothing will get axed. By the way, nothing. It's a bit like when they close. Nothing down ever gets axed. When they close down half their websites uh, every three years and you, well, has anything changed no. of course not um uh, that said are there ways in which you should be attempting to tackle these questions of course there are um Stephen is uh, again right god that is quite i think it's because i haven't seen you for so day, long yeah. i think it is because i've just not seen That's you for a very long time quite enough of an agreement between our panelists the, but you know there's clearly ways in which you uh relate to bbc one and bbc three closer together and which you, you relate bbc two and bbc four closer together which don't involve having to wax either service mm. but which do involve joined up commissioning uh nursery slopes to main channel the old days where we used to hand over to BBC schools for four hours. You know, there's yes, no reason why that. you can't do that. And frankly, yeah. I, just having come from the Sheffield Dock Fest, there are a wealth of amazing programmes not made by the BBC mm. that they could buy probably quite cheaply for BBC Four, which would cost them less money than they're spending now on their own individual commissions. OK, they haven't been dreamt up by the BBC Four executives. But, you know, if I can sit and watch a three-hour documentary on deposed Romanian dictator Nicolae Ceausescu <laughs> with no narration and no translation into English apart from a few subtitles, then I think that BBC Four in jolly well can as well. <laughs> okay. um, the right, and, and if you're not watching channels anymore because essentially your exposure to the BBC is through iPlayer and distributed stuff and radio from many, many places, then I, who, who gives a crap? <laughs> it's, just, it's just about having authority yes. and being able to surface stuff in the right way. I know very little idea what channels I'm watching anymore. 
Um, the, the, uh, some of the, uh, as usual, some of the commenters have put it better than we could. Uh, Ty Giraffe says, uh, older people. Things. Sorry, no. <laughs> we <laughs> can leave if yeah. you like, Matt. No, no, no. We've got other stuff to just, do. I was just giving. No, I was just saying that our commenters are, are a very, you know, it's. You can actually wrap er- them up cheaply bunch. by just buying in some comments from the blog <laughs> yeah. and reading them out <laughs> just, for half an hour. That's what we How could much do. does it cost us to do this podcast? Uh, no, well, not very much. But, um, and listen, uh, Ty Giraffe says, older people uh, to whom peak viewing times are about two to five. PM want a certain repetitiveness to the schedule. They like to know where they are, that there will, that there will be a few reliably decent programs on, and that these programs and these programs have to be formulaic, or else they wouldn't be able to produce so many. My grandmother, a very clever woman, came to love Neighbours for its sunny nature, slightly mad storylines, and sort of decent acting. She didn't want to be educated anymore. She wanted to forget the pain she was in and how lonely she felt very good comment. Uh, Peary said, uh, these shows and formats were created by the BBC. The fact that imagineless ITV and Sky copied them with numerous rip-offs should not lead the BBC to being called formulaic. How can they be when they created the formula? Oh, hear, hear. All of those, and particularly the one about old people, because TV is a real service to the elderly. And I think that, you know, what the elderly want out of their daytime television is frankly quite different from the BBC Trust. Yeah, and what the Trust might think. Okay, we'll leave that there. Uh, You can read about all of those, uh, all about the BBC, of course, on mediaguardian.co.uk. I'm Matt Wells. You're listening to Media Talk. Here are some of the other stories from the media circus this week. Uh, we've already mentioned the Today programme. It was, of course, the headline casualty of last week's BBC strike. Um, did you flock to the uh, flock to daybreak, Brookie? I didn't. I didn't because I, um, I was away in Sheffield, as we talked about earlier. But, you know, daybreak, are we talking about today or are we talking we're about talking daybreak? About no, we're talking about the BBC strike I mean, the, okay. and, and the effect that it had. It was, you know, it, uh, uh, they, they managed to put on a skeleton service, didn't they, the, uh, uh, the, the BBC? But it was a, a pretty effective Yeah, action. and, you know, there's, a, there's a, a bit of a frisson with a flush of new faces on air that kind of perks the audience up a bit, I think. So no major harm done. I think that Helen Bowden showed just what a talent she was by finding those reports. Report, yes. <laughs> I think that's probably got her kudos from the management, if not from the workers. Uh, but, you know, this, this, the, the strike is still looming, might be called off for next week. Mm. Uh, I think if they wanted it to have widespread disruption to our favourite programmes, they failed pretty uh, much. What do you think, Janine? I was uh, profoundly uh, disturbed by the fact there was no Today programme. It just it rocked my yeah. life in a way that makes me a lot more middle age than I had previously come to terms with. Um, and uh, I, I really didn't know what to do with the rest of the day. And um, you, you, you I think felt underbriefed. I felt very underbriefed and uh, and unshouted at and uninformed and all those things. And um, <laughs> and you came you came to work in a good mood, and which was just you know <laughs> entirely unusual for that for that time of the morning. It's only for that. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, do, now you mentioned daybreak, but well, I mentioned daybreak, and then you mentioned daybreak. So uh, uh, Stephen, why has it gone so spectacularly and expensively wrong? One point five million. Uh, viewers in September, 700, half that practically now, almost a little bit more than half that. What's gone wrong? A whole range of things. It's early days, though, when you launch is or relaunch though, something. I mean, that's quite bad for, you know, to lose 50% of your viewers. In, and, and I don't think they ever had 1.5 million. I used to have to do that ratings report every day on that website. And I don't think they ever got up that high. I think, yes, it, it has fallen down. Um, but obviously, you know, there's a lot of new people working on that program and it's going to take a while for them to bed in it's the debate about whether you make daybreak solely for the kids and the housewives or whether you try and give it a bit more meat and do something a bit different and you know make it a bit more serious if you like or heavyweight 
and try and attract a new audience. It's the age-old problem with revamping something. You risk losing the viewers you've already got, and it takes you a while to attract the new ones. So, uh, and they've clearly not got that right. And I guess, Janine, you know, we all just jump on it immediately because we want instant gratification. Oh, it's a failure, it's a hit, it's a, it's a miss. And so, so we're, you know, there's a short-term hit that they're taking on the ratings. Do you think that, that, that they can probably survive? I think there's um, an inevitability to uh, uh, the schadenfreude around Christine Beakley that started in the summer with the whole, you know, is she going, is she not going? It will, she won't, she will, she won't, she, and all those um, statements about, well, you know, I'm tempted, but I'm thinking about it and making it into a heartfelt decision when we all suspect that that was about how many zeros on the on the uh, on the offer letter and um it doesn't help for her that she's also dating a footballer because that puts you in a category yes. of um uh, which uh, one is it again for, uh, frank, frank lampard. lampard frank lampard that's yeah. Right, yeah who does he play for matt can you I don't know. Is, it no. Ch- is it chelsea it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so um poor poor obliquely and then and then adrian charles as well seems to have gone from everybody loves adrian charles into just got a bit too much money got a bit got a bit smart I don't it's know really it seems funny to be the how, how, how this has happened isn't it because he, they haven't changed they are the same people well you know they, they look the same they do the same stuff they, they, they're not approaching Daybreak in any different way from the, the way in which they presented the one show but it's the perception of them that's changed and it's interesting how the perception of somebody can be just as um, powerful as 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 the actuality of what they do, right? Because folksy and charming doesn't look folksy and charming. It looks overpaid and smug. Um, so I'm just saying to some people. Yeah. I, I really haven't watched them on Daybreak, so I can't comment. But I do think what's really interesting is um, the way transfers really work. I think there's um, R- rarely there's work. Rarely yeah. work. Yeah. It's that thing of when right. you pluck something out, yeah. and I don't know whether that's part of it being a big money deal because they almost always are big money transfers from one channel to another. Uh, Des Lynham. So I don't know if that's what changes people's perception of it. One minute you're lovely, folksy Des, and next minute you're you took the money and sold us out, Des. Or if it's because the tone is different or it's a new team or if it's all of those things. It takes something a while to build. When when the one show started, Charles was there, but Christine Bleakley wasn't. They went through a string of people and it was, you know, Peter Finch will admit was a bit of a dud. And it took them quite a long time to get the format right. But the expectations weren't that it was going to be a mega hit from the get-go. And with Daybreak, because of the star wattage of those two presenters, it was an expectation it was going to be an instant hit. But interesting on the transfer thing in a completely another context, my two words to say to you two is Julie Birchall, mm. who was a star of the Guardian yeah. Weekend magazine. And she was, you know, she was almost the page three girl. As soon as you opened it up, there she was. Mm. She went to the Times. I don't know if it was a big money deal. I seem to remember some quote <clears throat> about a sofa that she very much wanted and didn't get. And at the times it just didn't work and she didn't have the authority and uh, readers weren't interested and it all fell apart. And now she's back at, well, she's not back at, but she is at the independent. So it'd be interesting to see. See, I'm thinking Mm. about this now. It's, it's, um, I think it is something to do with the big money, you know. I think it does change people's um, perceptions because if you, if you do a transfer where somebody has basically been given the boot, possibly unjustly they tend to do well and i'm so men behaving badly was kicked out of itv moved to bbc but basically picked up off the floor did really well and there's a a topical one in the u.s this week conan o'brien has just resurfaced after being you know messed about pretty badly by nbc chucked off the today program jay leno's back in there again and conan's just resurfaced on cable and his return show his second return show beat 
The Tonight Show on NBC, and he's wow. on a tiny cable channel. Yeah. I can't yeah. even remember what it's called. TNS, which is what I've previously yeah. not even heard of. Exactly. Of course, now, Janine, what we have to ask is Jonathan Ross and how his appearance on ITV, whenever it's going to be coming up next mm. year, because he might even be on um, Britain's Got Talent judging it. I mm. hear a rumour. How's that going to play out? Is he going to be in the Conan O'Brien category yes, or the Adrian Charles So I think if, yeah. if Jonathan's listening, and I'm, I'm certain he is, he'll be listening to the conversation and thinking maybe what I need to be doing is a bit of the humility and they're coming back, maybe one of a panellist on a show Possibly. rather than over the, over the being, title. Being the, yes. And, you know, yeah, and, Conan and went onto Twitter. He, he, he started again with the old grassroots. Perhaps, perhaps he ought to you know, um, potentially think about uh, a programme that might be listened to by top media Media executives who you know, and he could, he could give his opinions on. Are the, you saying that we could rehabilitate Rossi we, <laughs> on think, media talk? I think it's be, it's not be it's the pod not big enough. Powers. Is, is the, the pod, pod big enough? Um, well, I don't want to have that conversation with Addison Cresswell. No, certainly no, not. No, uh, I'm not getting out of my seat for him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, listen. Um, well, I was going to say sticking with ITV, but we seem to have moved away from ITV. The, the last time you were on the pod, Janine, um, Adam Crozier was appointed as the new chief executive of ITV. Now he's made. Um, what's being described as his Ratner moment this is when Gerald Ratner you know uh, said that all the, the stuff that they made in their shops was crap uh, he said that ITV's hit the lowest common denominator in many of the things that um, uh, that they put out is, is it a bad you know is, is that a bad thing for him to have said or is it quite a good uh, exercise in in showing your own humility what I liked was that it was almost no story whatsoever I mean it got it got a tiny bit of reporting and then it didn't and you know a Ratner moment we all know what a Ratner moment is um and Adam Crozier says, ITV programmes, they really are just aimed at the lowest common denominator. World goes, yeah. Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <laughs> it was what, true. What time time a celebrity coming on? Yeah. <laughs> I think what, I could see what he well, was the doing. Only, or The Only Way is Essex, which is <laughs> oh, on my list. Oh, well, were you ready to talk about that? No, yeah, we can't. Like That's up. <laughs> We need to just, you know, we need to get through Crozier first. Crozier, okay. End, end of he, Crozier. A Crozier wants to get rid of CRR, which right. is the contract rights renewal, which is the yes. advertising. We know about the serious things oh, as well. God, has that not gone yet? No, it so, hasn't. No. I'm not coming so, back for six months until that thing is gone. <laughs> he is sort of saying, look, if you get rid of that, for we can start putting on, you know, better programs. Yes. We'll, we'll, Weird they enough, the South Bank show, of course, as like. luck would have. But they also axed Parkinson, and the reason why they axed Parkinson was because they were getting so many ratings hits from the X Factor earlier in the night they were using up their sort of allocation and and couldn't you know buy in decent advertising for parky when he's on on saturday nights mm. anyway so his message is, is that why they axed it yeah they didn't that axe that's... it because he was just getting a bit dull <laughs> it wasn't getting dull janine it was one of my highlights of the week <laughs> anyway uh, weirdly enough he makes that comment when itv is actually on a bit of a roll because downton abbey is the I love talk of the town and we talk about what the trust's advice to the bbc should be put that on another downton abbey yes. thank you very much and they might get it later in this year with the new all new upstairs downstairs oh yes which is coming over in christmas it's kind of sequel of sorts that's going to be on the BBC, right. yeah. Oh, wait, it's going to be good. Uh, listen, uh, I did mention the, the, uh, the Only Ways Essex. Did you watch the finale that was on this week? I haven't watched any the of these one episodes. one-hour special. But what is it about this show that's got everybody talking? Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot because it <laughs> is a docu-soap. We don't know how much of it is real and how much of it isn't, but it's captivating, it's very you, as they've got this caption at the start, and it says, <laughs> I don't it think says that's, the that's, boobs and the tans good, are fake, but the people are real, although some of the situations we've put them in have been created for your entertainment. 
I love that. Yeah. Is this, is this like Jersey Shore? I think it is, yes. Yeah. With and the snooky and yeah, the thing. Yeah, it's, I yeah. think, I love, I love that tagline. I think we should have that tagline on, at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the people that, are real, but yeah. some, of the, some of the discussions have been staged for your entertainment. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the news stories are real, <laughs> but some of the Twitter feeds have been scripted. <laughs> I think that's very true. Look, I'm sure you can get it on the ITV player. Yes. I think it's highly, highly entertaining. And the finale last night was a boxing match. And it was actually quite extraordinary. I thought, who is going to win this boxing match? And I completely, because I was a Mark fan, and I completely switched in the middle of the boxing match over to Kirk. And um, Is there a, spo- a spoiler alert here? Oh, no, because I won't tell you who won. Okay. I won't tell you who, who, who won. Uh, I can't wait to watch. Um, uh, X Factor Fix? Was it a fix? No, this was a disgraceful beat-up from the son, Colin Robinson. I'm very disappointed Janine was just in you. About, she was literally on the edge of her seat with, with, <laughs> with, 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 with a piece of erudite analysis there. And then, but you've, to, you've trumped her again. I'm sorry. Ladies first. No, Janine. no, no. Please. No, no, carry no, on, no, Colin you, Robinson. You, you carry, we want to hear you, it. You carry on, Stephen. If you remember back to goodness knows when, when Sharon Osbourne... <laughs> was a judge on the X Factor, exactly the same thing happened. Mm. And she was asked to choose between two of her acts were in the bottom two. And she said, I'm not choosing. And so the host at the time, who I think was that woman who used to edit Smash Kate It's Thornton. now on Loose Women, Kate Thornton, said, well, if you don't vote, well, I have to go to the public vote. So I don't see how there's any problem with a judge refusing their right to vote. Australia is the only country where voting is compulsory <laughs> in political elections. In Britain, it isn't. And look where that's in real life and in the X Factor, voting's not compulsory. Ginny? Well, I'm not as familiar with the rules as Stephen, obviously. However, it does seem to me that the end result was that Katie was not um, removed from the lineup, and Katie's the one who was getting all the tabloid headlines. And I think that whatever needed to happen to make sure that Katie did not leave the show was what would happen. Mm, so okay. if it had gone to deadlock, I'm fairly certain Katie would have been out. Yeah. Well, I still think we have now spent more time discussing this than the BBC Trust. All right, I'm sure we haven't, but let's briefly uh, move on to the press before we end the section. Sales of the Indies new spin-off I are said to have dropped uh, below the 100,000 mark. Are you, are you a purchaser, Stephen? Yes, I am actually. Do you go into a shop and I pay 20 pounds? I do. I do. I go See, in. I think it's really good, but I wouldn't pay for it. I would pay 20p for it. It's something there's a I can't tell you the feeling of liberation of walking out of my house with just 20p in my pocket and going down to the newsagents and knowing that I could actually buy a newspaper for that amount. And I got there. What sort of person are you that you, that, that you think about these things? Well, I'm the former press correspondent of The <laughs> Guardian, which has probably walked with my only thinking 20p a bit. 20p in your pocket. Yeah, well, no, the, the newsagent is just like, a, you know, two doors down. Anyway, so I walked in there and I'm looking for it and it, it wasn't there. And I thought this can't have sold out by, you know, 8.30 on a Wednesday morning or whatever it was. And I said, look, the eye, I'm looking for the eye. And have you sold out? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. It's under the Daily Sport. <laughs> Dear. Um, what's, what's... So I think that, you know, the crowding in on the newsstand might be a bit of a problem for yes. them. Um, Obviously, they had great sales at the start and they've fallen yes. off. Uh, and it's an issue because you can't actually sell them out on the street because if there's somebody there with a newspaper out on the street, the public are just going to think it's going to be free for them, but you can't distribute it nationally under that model because it's too expensive, so you've got to be in the shops. I think they now need advertising and marketing because I agree, I think the product is very, very strong and it suits me on you know the morning commute. I can't get through the Guardian all the times in half an hour, but I can get through the eye. 
uh, they now need to work really, really hard and make sure that the people who they need to get to, which are the lapsed newspaper readers who don't mm. actually know it exists at the moment because they're not paying attention, find it. Janine, uh, are, you, are you an I buy buyer? No. Um, my, my problem is the sort of, it's not the cost or the product, it's the transaction cost, which mm. is I don't quite know what it is. I don't, don't quite know where it fits between um, Metro and The Guardian or, you know, something that I identify myself as being a reader of. So um, I, I, don't, I still don't know that I understand why I understand why people read the Metro. That is presented to you as a convenient you know, gap in your life. Um, and I understand why people buy newspapers. But the, the thing in between, I'm not that sure of. I do think there, um, there's a really interesting question uh, around whether this was conceived as parallel or ultimately replacement product, um, because it could be seen, in, you know, when the Indy first went tabloid, they, they, they kept the tabloid and the broad, broadsheet going and they said, oh, of course, we're going to keep them both, both going. It's just an experiment and all the rest of it. If you see it in that context, it makes it more interesting. So that's what, that, that's what I assumed. When they launched it, I thought, well, clearly they have to do something with the independent because it wasn't making any money and uh, it changed hands. And you, we all know there was a sort of we've got to do something here. Um, and I, uh, I assumed that in a, and they're very smart at doing this. This is, you know, Kellner's very smart idea. Let's parallel publish, see how it goes, and then, you know, phase out as appropriate. Uh, when the compact indeed became more and more and more exactly. successful yeah, and just popular. Said that. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah. I said that before. You, you, you just, you just you, said that. You drifted off because I, you weren't I, talking. I've become a derivative. <laughs> BBC Two version of BBC One, haven't I? <laughs> well, see, but, but but now that Stephen's freelance, he charges by the word. You see, so it's important that he gets lots of words in. Um, were, were you going to but, finish? Was uh, it, yeah, I was. I was just going to say, but I, I think that the, the sales of I have dropped off um, considerably from the from the first week. Um, I think that's a positioning issue, and I think they will have to make the decision about whether to run them parallel or to replace actively, rather than wait for the one to be you know to, to to make that decision for them because of what you just said because of yeah. placement okay listen I, will, I think we've had enough from both of you to be quite honest in that section more on all of these stories at mediaguardian.co.uk now, we've spoken an awful lot about television so far in the show, so let me tell you that if you're interested in that kind of thing, you'll probably want to take part in the snappily titled Red Bee Media Guardian Future of TV webcast that's taking place on November the 25th. There's a top panel, including people from UView, Yahoo, and advertising giant WPP, and you can put your questions to them about the challenges facing the industry, all from the comfort of your own laptop. All the details are at guardian.co.uk slash future dash TV. Now then, on to something completely different. Online. On digital and on 88 to 91 FM. You'll have noticed that Saturday mornings on Radio 2 have an altogether more genteel feel to them these days. Jonathan Ross is out, and Graham Norton is very much in. And slowly but surely, he's making the slot his own. I caught up with him backstage at the Radio Festival recently, and he told me about his decision to take over one of the prime slots on British Radio. When I've done guest hosting and things on Radio 2, I did really enjoy it. It's a very nice place to be. Uh, It's also almost a kind of a backbone of a career. It's quite a good spine of a career. You know, because when the radio stops, hopefully I might still be on Radio 2, and then it's a good place to segue into other things. Did you have to be persuaded? I did. Well, not even persuaded. Uh, It was almost like they explained to me 
why I should do it. And why you'd be a fool not to. Exactly. I mean, basically, I didn't want to take over from Jonathan on the radio because I think Jonathan's brilliant. And I loved that show. And I, that's what I said to them. And they explained, well, that's all very well. We get that. But if you turn this down now, this job doesn't come up very often. You know, the last time, it was 10, 12 years ago. So you will regret turning this down. Do you find it's a... I mean, how different a kind of skill is it? You've, you've done a lot of television. You know how to do, how to do television. Do they, does the skills transfer, or is it a totally new kind of thing? Some bits of it, I suppose, you know, communicating hopefully transfers, but it is a very different job. And it's difficult because, you know, I'm learning on the job. It's a live show. So, uh, yeah. Uh, there, there's the chandelier I ordered. <laughs> um, you took over from Jonathan Ross. He was a lightning rod, not just but before Saxgate, for the kind of criticism of the, of, the, of, the, of the BBC, big salaries and all the rest of it. You were that for a time. Um, uh, how, how does that feel when your name is splashed across the papers as the kind of the, the, the guy that's all the cause of all the BBC's ills? Reading something not nice about yourself is never a pleasant experience, but you can't let it stop you. I think for Jonathan, it became incredibly difficult because he wasn't just one of the high earners. I mean, he was so in a league of his own. He... He was such a whipping boy. I don't know how he quite coped with that. It, that must be really difficult. So I'm sort of in a, in a group. There's about five or six of us who are kind of, you know, responsible for the end of the world. You, you, you're not... I mean, you say you, uh, you're not associated so much with that now. In fact, you're, you're more kind of approaching national treasure status, really. Um, how... Have you? Has, how has your act changed over the years? Because you were like at the cutting edge, and now you're you're um, you're, you're everyone's sort of family favourite. I don't know about that. I'm, I've met families. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not their favourite. Uh, you do your job, and each job you do has a different discipline, and and also it's about getting older. You know, I'm approaching fifty. I, it would be unseemly for a man my age to be doing the show that I used to do on Channel 4. You do what feels right and comfortable, and hopefully you either bring an audience with you or you find a new audience. Graham Norton, a uh, media talk listener, in fact. So, hello, Graham. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? So, uh, thank you very much. Um, uh, I think that's quite enough of, of the Stephen Brooks show for one week. Uh, Janine, lovely, lovely to have you here, even though it was just in a supporting role. No, I, think it's, um, I, I think it's always lovely to come on and remind producer Ben Green that editing is still a thing he needs to do. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure it'll, 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 all, it'll all come out fine in the edit. Um, before, you get, before you go, tell, um, uh, tell us, what, what have you learned this week, Brookie? I've got nothing for you, Matt. I'm you sorry. Got no, don't just go on strike now because I've, <laughs> cause I've, cause okay. I've criticised the one thing, please. I'm just the one thing. After. Okay, what I've learnt this week is the percentage of people in the UK who book holiday cruises <laughs> who read the Daily Mail. That's very good. That's a very good fact. You ready for this? Come on. Forty-three percent. That's. I suppose not a surprising fact. No. But nevertheless... It is a fact. Yeah, it's a fact. <laughs> Janine, what have you got? I'm just looking it up on the website. <laughs> <laughs> New figures show that Australian newspapers are losing readers, but magazines have managed a 1% increase. Is it, is it, because, you, is it because you're here, Brookie, and not there? I hear and not there. Because Stephen stopped writing for me. I think my old colleague Sally Jackson at The Australian wrote that story. Um, 
uh, I, I've learned this week that John Barrowman has broken broken America. Really? Yes. Well, broken it as it can't be fixed. <laughs> no, broken it as his career is about to take off in a stratospheric way. You will be aware, Brookie, of a, of a, of a nightclub spot called Musical Mondays. Oh, right. In, yes, yes. Uh, in New York. This yeah. is a, uh, this is in, in one of the nightclubs in, of a certain persuasion in New York. They play clips from musicals, mostly excerpts from old Tony, Tony Award shows from, year, from years ago. But I was, there I was, up popped on the big screen, John Barrowman s- s- singing some, some ghastly, with his clothes on, yes, singing at some ghastly mus- musical interlude. And I thought, there we are, John Barrowman has made it. Here and everyone in the bar knew all the words. They knew there. all the words, yes. Have you been to New York recently, Matt? I have, actually, yes. Um, I've managed to not mention it at all in this podcast. Yeah, I noticed you managed to shoehorn it in before the end. Yeah, yeah, I'd shoehorned it in. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, that was Janine Gibson and uh, Stephen Brook. Apparently you're, you're back ne- next week, Janine, so uh, perhaps no. you... You'll be able to get a word in no. then. then. No, no, it's not, only because not... I haven't rearranged my diary yet. Oh, right, I'm, okay. I am available, <laughs> luckily. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you to you for listening. And uh, you can find out more on all of the stories and put your feedback on everything you've just heard uh, on our blog. That's guardian.co.uk slash media talk. Media talk is produced by Ben Green. I'm Matt Wells. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Don't forget to start your free 14-day trial of audible.co.uk and to download your free audiobook. Head to guardian.co.uk slash audible. The Guardian.